Welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We're glad you joined us today for our look at Quest Love's Summer of Soul uh, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Mm -hmm. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Caleb, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Good to see you, Mark. I'm doing great. I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, and uh, just a reminder... This podcast is brought to you by ProgressiveChristianity.org, and we would love for you to give us any questions that you have throughout Absolutely. the podcast. And in yes. our last segment, we'll address any podcast or we'll address yeah, any questions. questions that you have. And Mark, what are you drinking today? Well, I tell you what, I also want to add before I tell you yes. what I'm drinking to make sure everyone knows that as always, this is not a spoiler free podcast. This Very will important. be full and full of spoilers. Uh, yes. We don't edit ourselves. We just put it out there. Well, what I'm drinking is, so like we said, this is a uh, a, a film that was made by Quest Love, who put, he was one of the producers mm -hmm. and the director. Uh, and there's some great stories out there about it coming together. So uh, Quest Love isn't a big drinker, uh, okay. but, but he does have a cocktail that he currently likes to have at night after everything is settled down. Uh, it is called, an, yeah. it's called an electric honey. Okay. Electric mm. honey. Uh, and it partly comes from, uh, he did a, a series for a Scotch group, uh, a Scotch uh, distillery, and uh, did some things about creativity and has a mini series. It's more than watch, worth watching. That particular folks are way too expensive for my blood. So I have a, a less expensive, <laughs> less expensive Scotch. And it is Scotch, yeah. two thirds, uh -huh. two thirds Scotch. Yeah. And then the other third is split with, uh, a simple honey syrup huh. and uh, chilled coffee. And then oh, uh, you can see here, for those who are watching, I have my uh, cayenne pepper. Ooh. You, you top <laughs> it, you top it with some cayenne pepper. Uh -huh. um, and it's a sipper. It's it's and it's actually really good. It's I, I was not sure, but it's great. How about you, man? What are you gonna drink? That looks really good. So I'm I was really in the mood for a martini today. Nice. Um, and so I've got a Harlem Nights martini Ooh. and it's very simple to make. It's just two parts vodka, one part Kahlua and mm. it's delicious. It goes Absolutely. down very smoothly. It, so it sounds like it would. I can't wait to get into Summer of Soul. Cheers to you, Mark. Cheers, Cheers. to all of you who are out there watching. Cheers to and everyone. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back after the drop. talking about summer of soul as we've mentioned a few times um i remember watching this the first time when it was released uh, to hulu and was just blown away um uh it was kind of uh, going back and hearing the stories of quest love and how this project came to him and his thoughts about it yeah. were exactly my thoughts in that i was like how how in the world did something like this happen and i 
I've never don't know anything. Yeah, like one little tiny bit about right. it. What yeah. was your reaction? I had no idea it had happened either. And the same summer as Woodstock, 1969, a cultural pivotal moment, and uh, this this huge festival in Harlem, like 50,000 people a day kind of festival. I think they said there were 300,000 people who came throughout the course of the festival. That's the they're estimating. Some yeah. of the biggest names in, you oh. know, black music at the time uh, came through and uh, it was incredible I mean, to, to listen. We're talking the Chamber Brothers, B.B. Yeah. King, uh, Mahalia Jackson, uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips, uh, the Family Davis Stone. Staples, yep. Yep. Um, Nina Simone. I mean, we could go yeah. on and on. It was, it's an incredible yeah, yeah. list. It happened over six Sundays, the summer of 69. And like you said, certainly uh, an eventful summer for uh, the hi history in general. Uh -huh. But this was an event that was so massive and so important. It shouldn't have got lost. No. And you know what's so cool about it, Mark? Uh, so you get to listen to the music throughout the uh, the documentary, which is one of the things that's the coolest about it. You get mm -hmm. to sit here and kind of experience it because the footage has been locked away for like 50 years. Right. And we get to see it. But one of the things that was the coolest for me was that all the different styles of music kind of got blended together. And mm. it wasn't about a, a style of music. It was about kind of a, a cultural experience and capturing this moment in time. And that was powerful to, to sit really and listen was. to and to see and to hear people reflect on their experiences there. Yeah. And it was during a period of time when there was a lot of transition going on in uh, black culture in the United States. Anyway, there was a reclaiming of, of native roots and maybe literally roots with the hair and, and reclaiming yeah. natural hair and, and that it's beautiful and you know we shouldn't be, made to feel like we, we can't do this. Uh, it was, as the film points out, there was a pivotal thing that happened that year in part in response to uh, this festival, uh, which is the Harlem uh, Cultural Festival. Uh, this was year three of it. Um, yeah. They start, they changed. They, this is a pivotal moment when we stopped saying Negro and started saying black and, and the culture itself asked for that we were they were like this yeah. is what we want this is this yeah. we're reclaiming that word you're not going to use it against us yeah. uh, and there was a even a, a, a fight at what was it the washington post where at they the new york times new york times yeah. yeah yeah that she had written an article and she wrote the headline as black mm -hmm. so and so many black women are at right. this thing and an editor a white editor changed it to negro and right. she said, no, this is, we're going to use black. And the, the person who was in charge at the New York Times said, OK, from now on, it's black. Yeah, she and, she yeah. wrote an 11 page uh, argument. Yeah, like memo. When, when he changed yeah. it, he was like, we're going to keep it this way. She yeah. wrote an 11 page memo on all the reasons why it needs to change. And to his credit, mostly to her. Her credit, obviously. Yeah, but absolutely. As as the person making the final decision, he read it. He realized he was wrong, and he went, "Okay, that's right. I let's go with it." So yeah, and so one of the one of the powerful things about the movie or the the documentary is that it's about music, but it's not about just music, right? And that's what they're talking about the festival being about in in general is that it's about music and it's a, a fun time it was a, a fun gathering uh it was meaningful to see so many black people in 
the, the same place because some of those folks had never been around that many black people before. Uh, right. And so it was meaningful in that way. But also it was about this cultural moment and it was about a desire for, for change in society. And yeah. That's that's pretty cool that the that this this phenomenon happened that, that they captured it on camera. It's just too bad it was lost for fifty. Exactly. Years. Yeah. And yeah. and and I I think we're being very generous when we say it was lost. Um, uh, yeah, intentionally. I mean, and they talk about it. Yeah, it was intentionally lost. Yeah. At least Questlove Love has said that after hearing all the stories and researching what went on and how it ended up in yeah. the basement of the guy who filmed it, basically. Um, he says it's for him. This is proof that uh, revisionist history exists. Yeah, because here's this massive story um, that that's getting compared to, to 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 Woodstock, and we need to talk about that a little bit too. Uh -huh. um, but it no one picks it up. No one will touch it. Uh, and and it right. ultimately because of it, the guy and the guy who filmed it, he tried hard, and he he's the one that originally made the connection of calling it black Woodstock because black Woodstock, Woodstock was right. Woodstock was getting played everywhere. It was getting right. all coverage. It was picked up everywhere and, and he, he, he couldn't give it away basically. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so he, he came up with this idea to call it black Woodstock that also did not help. Uh, and I would guess in some ways it might've hurt, particularly in those times It made more people say, well, I'm not sure that, that, I, that I'm willing to, to, to have anything to do with that or put it out there. Um, and so here, here's maybe our first yeah. big point of discussion. I really feel like when you consider what the film does and what was going on mm -hmm. as the event was happening, yeah, comparing it to Woodstock is one of the worst things we can do. Yeah, it's something different. Uh, something different is happening. It's completely different. And, and yeah. it's just referencing a white reference point to point yeah. to uh, another music festival that hadn't... Uh -huh. Really, I mean, Woodstock was, was a, a bunch of, of mostly city-ish suburbanites uh -huh. with a chance to go for a long weekend and protest a war that was over there, not here, that we're not actually dealing with mm -hmm. ourselves and pretend yeah. like they're hippies for, you know, for a while. Whereas yeah. what was going on in, in the cultural festival was more about claiming who we are. It was about... Mm -hmm the real threats that were going on in their lives, which we'll get to and talk more about in our theological political yeah. segment. Um, and it was a response to that. And it was this, this uh, opportunity to express hope through music. It was very different. And it's, it's so typically white culture to reference it against the thing that's closest to it in white co culture, even though it doesn't make any sense to compare the two. That's right. Yeah. Because while, in some ways, it was about Vietnam, and they talk about you know how there were more black soldiers in Vietnam, right. and that that you know felt like they were serving a country who didn't even see them or value them, and they weren't wrong about that. Right. Uh, that, but yes, this this is primarily about about what it means to be black and what black identity is. And as you mentioned earlier, Mark, there's this this shift in thinking about. Uh, how how people are going to wear their hair, what what clothing they're going to wear, and even what it means to be black. And so one of the things that I thought was really fascinating was when the different bands were were coming on, and you know some of them were struggling with like, are we black enough? Right. And the, there is the the band from St. Louis. What's the band that sings? Uh, uh, you know, the age of dawning of the age of Aquarius. And oh yeah, uh, yeah. That slide band, you know, like you're from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, like me, like me from Missouri, uh, they're <laughs> from St. Louis, Missouri. And, uh, 
they uh, they struggle with the fact that people didn't think their sound was black enough. And so one of the reasons that they came oh, yeah. to Harlem, right, was to say, well, are fifth, they going to accept fifth us? Dimensions. Fifth dimensions. Fifth dimension. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Are, are, are they going to accept us? Uh, and one no. of the reasons they were there is for that exact reason, to prove, mm. hey, look, we, we are black, and that's a part of our identity. Right. And we're just just because people associate it associate us with a white think, sound doesn't mean right. that that we're not I, being black enough. Right. And, and I, I thought what, that was really interesting. I, I agree. And I think one of the singers said, "This this this is my voice." So it is a black voice. They they were being right. criticized for yeah. not sounding uh, not sounding black enough. Black enough. And and she was like, yeah. "Well, this is my voice. This is how my voice sounds. I am a black person. And this is a yeah. black voice." And and yeah, but, and but there's not a black me. or a white sound, right? right. That's what there. Right. How can you identify sound as black as, or white? As a color, what right. said. Yeah, 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 it's not a color. It, it it's was a, a brilliant line. It was a beautiful yeah. line. And but yeah. that's also what was sort of celebratory about the whole festival in general is that mm -hmm. that wasn't an issue, and it didn't matter if you were Gladys Knight and the Pips coming out in a full, you know, matching outfits, or you were Sly and the Family Stone who had white folks and a white dude playing the drums. What was that? Uh -huh. And uh, just wearing what felt right and really letting loose, you know, co up compared to this high choreographed uh, uh -huh. uh, from Gladys Knight and the Pips. So it's this beautiful mixture of everything, uh, all of it getting celebrated. Yeah. And that 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 piece with Sly and the Family Stone, I thought was really interesting because mm -hmm. uh, they were talking about in the movie how, you know, most of the groups had been men's groups that wore suits and ties and how Fly, uh, Sly and the Family Stone kind of broke that a little mm -hmm. bit and came out with breaking all kinds of barriers. And that the, the band itself, I think they said the music was the lowest common denominator or something. Music was the denominator that it was about. Right. But he was taking a stand <laughs> on all kinds of things. Right. So you got this, this woman playing the trumpet which they hadn't seen before. Wow. They were mismatched. Uh, and you're right. They had, they had black folks as a part of the band and white folks as a part of the band. And they were making a statement. They were playing yeah. music and their music was making a statement, but the Absolutely. band itself no, was making a statement. a statement about the cultural point where they were. Yeah. And that was cool. It was. Uh, it was. Yeah. And, and they said something that has been a part of my brain for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I, I've always sworn that Prince was influenced by Sly, uh, yeah, and they, and, they, and they literally called him Proto Prince. Like, Aha! <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's wearing the glasses too, the purple glasses, and that, that was the well, best you shot. Can, you you yeah. can hear it in his voice, he's just yeah, like Prince, yeah. and that he plays all these instruments, he's so talented. Um, yeah. and so it's not surprising that they would say call him Proto Prince, but also you can just hear the influence in, in what Prince does. But I, I didn't mean to. Go on too much. I know you're a Prince fan. I know I you're am, a huge I Prince am. fan. So Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that out. Yeah. Hey, you know, one of the things I thought was cool too was uh, uh, the the thought about how the different genres uh, melded together at this, and that people didn't get too um, didn't didn't get too wrapped up in the style of music that that was happening. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking about that theologically too, because I was thinking about how many churches get wrapped up in music style. And in the in the types of music that that we're playing in worship, and yeah. I thought one thing that was really cool about this is that it was all about the people who were there together and about what they were doing. Yeah. And it it wasn't about I, people had their preferences, right? Some yeah. people came to just see whoever, but it was about the movement that was happening mm -hmm. there. 
And I thought that was cool and that that's a prophetic word to a lot of churches who only care about music style. Oh, it absolutely. No doubt about it. And, and, and lots to be learned there. Um, listen, uh, to the folks who are watching and uh, following along live, please, uh, wherever you're watching, drop a question into uh, the comment section there for our final uh, uh, segment of, of the show. We'll be getting to that. But first, we're going to have another drop, come back and talk a little bit about some of the theological and um, political impacts that this show uh, talks to and should have in the world. Yeah. to the moonshine jesus show where we are talking about the summer of soul or when revolution could not be televised which is a very appropriate subtitle for this segment of the show where mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about theopolitical kinds of issues and man this film was packed with those kind of issues yeah, that, it's kind of the amazing part of this film is that yeah. You know, on one level, it is a documentary about a music festival. Right. But there are so, so many pieces. It's yeah. not just, I mean, we talk about some yeah. of the black culture stuff. Yeah. And, and the theological, political stuff still is specifically about black culture. But there's so many levels of it, so many issues that they touch on and, and are speaking to as the festival's going on. Uh, and somehow keeping this amazing, hopeful note through speaking of all these terrible realities that frankly, I'm sure you were struck by the fact that most of what they were talking about, we're still talking about. Yeah. It's amazing how similar the cultural conversation is and kind of depressing. You oh, would hope we would have come a little further, but we haven't. And so one of the places where that was, that really kind of landed home for me was the moon landing took place right. yes. during this festival. Yeah, on, and, on, the, on the day of one of the, oh, it was only on right. Sundays and the moon landing yeah, happened on the yeah. Sunday. That's right. And so some reporter said, hey, there are, <laughs> there are a bunch of black people up in Harlem gathering for a festival. Let's go see what they think about the moon landing. And mm -hmm. so they went and they're like, hey, what do you think about the moon landing? And they're like, well, I guess that's great for some people, but uh, we've got these huge systemic problems. We've got people starving. We've got this economic disparity and we're wasting money sending people to the moon. Okay, and so that's a conversation that we have heard in the last few months as Absolutely. we've seen celebrities going on these kind of voyeuristic uh, mm -hmm. trips to space and wasting money to you know Elon Musk's program to send uh, send these folks to space. Right. As we've heard the same kind of criticism, right? We've got Absolutely. this huge economic disparity in our country yeah. today, and we've we've still got all of these issues. And instead of using our money. Uh, to address that, or we're using money to figure. Yeah, out. I mean, for me, the powerful moment was they interviewed one of the, one of one of the black men that was there, and he mm -hmm. said, uh, "You know, you spent all this money to put uh, men on the moon yeah. uh, when you could have used that same money to, to feed black children who aren't able to eat." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean that puts it in that's, perspective. That's pretty straightforward, right there, and, and it's pretty good logic too. It's like, yeah, you, like at what point do the people become more important than this? 
I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, moon landing was amazing. We learned lots of science yeah. advanced. We got all kinds of stuff, but we weren't feeding people here on the planet. So maybe we needed to get our priorities a little more checked. And honestly, I had never thought about it from that perspective before. I had thought mm -hmm. about, you know, the recent trips to space. And I thought, right. yeah, that's a waste of money, uh, right. of private funds that people should be using to help others. But I had never thought about the moon landing just because of my own social location. Mm -hmm. I had always thought, oh, yeah, moon landing. That's great. Look right. at the advancement of science that we're doing. And it occurred to me that that's because of who I am. Uh, that mm -hmm. I didn't think to ask questions like, and why didn't that we spend those millions of dollars to ensure that people could eat Absolutely. Uh, when they, when people are starving in the streets? Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I want to go back to the point of while it was just uplifting, the music was so amazing and it was wonderful to see the event and see all the participate mm -hmm. people participating and what it meant to them. Yeah, yeah. It was depressing that every time we they talked about one of the political issues, we realized well, we still like one of the issues was yeah. uh, the the economic divide. Uh -huh. This you know, and so you would have thought, and and maybe not maybe obviously this is part of why this gets buried. One yeah. you, um, I'm, I'm there's so many things going on. It's hard. I'm trying to. There's trying a to, lot. There's a lot to unpack here. Trying to yeah. stack them up. Um, right. But for instance, that economic divide. You yeah. would hope that in the amount of time that has passed, we would have done something about it. Well, here's, yeah, a, here's, here's a very interesting statistic. Uh -huh. The 400 richest people in the United States yeah. have more money than all black families collectively. It, that's that's so immoral. Right. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And uh, we, we continue to see this widening economic gap and we continue to see this this exploitation uh especially of people of color but uh but we see this widening social gap and people without much uh having less and people with more continuing to accumulate more and more wealth and yeah. i mean like jesus had talked about that right, <laughs> right? like no, it's right. immoral to see these kinds Absolutely. of economic disparity and it's, it's, it's one of the biggest points of what we should be doing right as christian and it, points in the gospel exactly it's like <laughs> yeah. one of the biggest things that's there that's like and we keep talking about intentionally and i think exploitation the word that you used i think is so yeah. very important and so mm -hmm. very real because it is intentional ex exploitation and i think yeah. it's part of why this movie wasn't shown and got trashed because what you had in this 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 event was uh, black culture getting together yeah. uh -huh. to express their disgust with how many political things from from the prison systems to economic yeah. divide to the way the police have, imagine this the way that police were attacking black men and shooting right. them from behind that kind of thing. Right, um, they had black panthers. Policing, right. yeah, policing. So, because the police yeah. weren't sure that they were going to do it, they did finally right. show up. But mm -hmm. so you you got all of these things going on. They're they're gathering yeah. to speak out about it, to gather together and to unite over it. But they're doing it through music and through joy. Yeah, I think that felt very dangerous to a lot of white folks. Oh, of course. Because it's it's much more effective to talk about the angry black man. Uh huh than it is to talk about the reasonable black man who's addressing these issues uh, and still managing to find hope in the midst of uh -huh. it. That's a yep. great reason for a, a white oligarch to crash it and make sure that it doesn't stay around. Um, and I think yeah. one of the beautiful, I got one last piece I want to sneak in here. Tell me. Yeah. And I, th I think th this watching it through the second time mm -hmm. was when I heard this quote 
It was yeah. Al Sharpton. I, and I think this yeah. can, ca can capsulizes everything that's going on in the show. Yeah, he has some great in, in quotes. He yeah. has some great ones. This one in particular about Nina Simone, I thought just mm. nailed exactly what's going on. He said, um, Nina about Simone... Yeah, Nina Simone sung that, uh, and that was the song to be young, uh, mm -hmm. gifted, and black. Sung that in her tone that is somewhere between hope and mourning. And he says a yeah. couple of things. Then he goes on and says, You could hear her voice in her voice, yeah. our pain and our defiance. For yeah. me, yeah. that's why no one wanted the show. Yeah, and you can hear in her voice. Her voice is oh. so powerful. And that struck me too whenever sure. he said that. I'm like, yeah, he's right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you're right. This this festival was powerful for that reason. And Gladys Knight, I think, put it best in the in the show. She said, it wasn't just about the music. We wanted progress. And yeah. the the whole festival Absolutely. was centered around music, but was about progress. Uh, one of the things that struck me uh, as they were talking about that is how religion was intertwined with this, mm -hmm. which I, I I mean, I was kind of expecting, I think, but to, to well, see how overtly the religion well, was in there was kind of powerful. Quest Love is religious in his own way, so it wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. surprising. And he spoke to the yeah. fact that he went through 40 hours of tape to get this hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> and, oh, I imagine. And they he realized... Yeah, yeah. And he, but he did realize that the heart of this documentary was the gospel music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Al Sharpton talked about it, too. He said, uh, he said, you know, the gospel was more than religious. The gospel was therapy for the stress and pressure of being black in America. We mm -hmm. didn't go to a psychiatrist. We didn't mm -hmm. go uh, on a couch. Uh, we didn't know anything about the therapist but we knew Mahalia Jackson and to talk about how <laughs> you know the, the so music was yeah. church and yeah. church was the music and that for a long long time and still maybe even today that the church was the only safe place for right. self-expression and mm -hmm. freedom and that's why uh, religion ended up being such a, a central part of the civil rights movement is because it was a place where people could gather unmonitored and yeah. be who they were without having to worry about who was watching or what they were saying right. and and so this festival ended up functioning in a very similar way it ended up kind of being church uh, mm -hmm. And that was pretty cool. I, I, I liked, you know, I thought it was powerful and kind of unexpected for me that Jesse Jackson was up there praying. He was featured in, uh, you know, a lot of the film. Oh, and yeah. the moment where he s starts praying and he says, it doesn't matter who your God is. It, it doesn't matter uh, who you worship. Mm -hmm. We're all here today. Uh, we're we're all a part of this community. We're all working for the same thing, and it was uh, this religious uh, overtone. Yeah. But it was but it was about this kind of universalist that how we're all working together for the common good. Absolutely, and it was brilliantly put put and put together by him. But it also makes me think of how brilliantly put together the film was. Because yeah, for instance, uh, you know, we had the quote from the gentleman who said, "Look." You're putting men on the moon, but you could have been yeah. using that money to, 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 to feed children that are hungry. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and one of the reasons uh, 
that Jesse Jackson was there was because of Operation Breadbasket, which was mm -hmm. exactly there. So it was like, okay, y'all are putting people on the moon. Yeah. And we're out there trying to feed kids that are hungry. Like yeah. that was a that was he the reason Jesse Jackson was there was to promote <laughs> yeah. Operation Breadbasket. Uh -huh. I thought it was just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. I think Questlove yeah. is his first uh, outing as a producer. That's amazing. I, I'm just blown, <laughs> blown away. Blown away. Yeah. yeah. And, and he was hesitant. He was hesitant. He wasn't sure he wanted to. He 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 had you know inferiority complex. He was like, I shouldn't be doing. You should have asked Spike Lee or somebody like that to do this. You know, um, it just. But, but he's what he's pulled. He did off. a phenomenal job. It was incredible to see how amazing. he did this and how so, he tied uh, all of this just, stuff together. Oh yeah, just a little quick side story. I yeah. thought it was really funny. He said so once he was finally convinced to do this. First mm -hmm. of all, he didn't believe it. He didn't believe yeah. it all. Uh, some people came up to him uh, backstage to the Tonight Show before he, they went on. He's the he's the band leader for the yeah. the, the uh, for the Roots who do the Tonight Show. Right. Uh, right. They came up to him and said, "Hey, man, we've got the forty hours of footage of uh, this uh, festival that three hundred thousand black folks went to in Harlem." And he yeah. was like, ha, 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 "You're not gonna fool me, like." Yeah. He's he's music geek, like he said. Right, people yeah. look at me like what? I'm some kind of all know. He's like, if it, I don't know about it, it didn't, it didn't happen. No, and then they showed him some footage. Yeah. They showed him some footage. He realized what was really going on. He took it home, and for I can't remember how long he said, but it was weeks. He put it on every screen in his mm. house, wow. nonstop loop. That's yeah. all he did. He just let it play, and every time mm. something gave him goosebumps or connected with him, he wrote it down. And it's brilliant how he's managed to get those 40 hours into this almost perfect little piece of, of, of history and, and storytelling and documentation. It's, it's just brilliant. And, 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 and I really like it. Uh, you talk I, about, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say me too. And uh, mm -hmm. I hope that you all out there watch it if you haven't seen it and watch it before the Oscars, the Oscars yeah. are coming up. Make sure you I, see uh, it. It's nominated as a best documentary, best documentary yeah. a feature, uh, not mm -hmm. the short, but the feature. Yeah. I would be very surprised if it doesn't win. It got the, the right buzz at the right time as people were yeah. voting. Uh, and it's a brilliant piece of film. It does. It's, it talks like this is a film about coming together yeah. and, and, and uh, particularly in the black community, but, but it expands oh, yeah. into yeah. people of color and particularly uh -huh. historically underrepresented folks of color. And uh, the, before we go to the drop, a reminder yeah. to everybody to ask questions, but I want to finish with this quote yeah. uh, that kind of is about what, what this whole thing was about hmm. in terms of the actual event. This comes yeah. from a uh, Puerto Rican percussionist, Ray Barreto. And he said, we've got to do it together before it's too goddamn late. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes. point, period. There we go. We're, that, yep, that, that's that's it. it right there. <laughs> All right, I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, take us to a drop, and we'll come back and see if we have any questions. If not, I know we've got questions for each other. That's right, we do. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are 
Dear, uh, at our last section where we are going to ask and answer some questions, and I haven't seen many questions come through, so I've got a question for you, Mark. Shoot, uh, the man, one thing that struck me was they gave this litany of profound losses that uh, mm. that had occurred throughout the 1960s, yep. right? They said, particularly they, losses of leaders that leaders, the black community yeah. identified with as. This is our leader. This is the person who is speaking for us. And they weren't like yeah. Robert Kennedy was one of them. JFK. Right. Uh, so that Mark, struck Martin me. Martin Luther King, Malcolm and X. And Malcolm X, right? Yeah. They gave that exact litany, uh, that those four people. And mm -hmm. I mean, it kind of struck me that the Kennedys were included in that. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I recognize that the, they were a large part of the civil rights movement, but for them to be the part, a part of the litany, the same right. four names I heard a couple of times, mm -hmm. JFK, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., RFK, uh, which got me thinking, who are our biggest civil rights leaders today? Or Mark, who are people that you're looking to as kind of political and theological uh, leaders? I mean, the, the, number one, the number one guy for me is the Reverend Dr. William Barber. I somehow knew you were going to say that. He's, yeah. he is, well, he's from North Carolina, so... Uh -huh. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to hang out and talk with them. And the disciple, time. disciple of Christ. Minister. A disciple of Christ. Hmm. Is there anybody else I know that's a disciple of Christ? Uh, yeah. I, can't, I can't quite remember. It feels like I do. Feels like I do. I feels like I do. Uh, they're, they're all about the same anyway. Uh, so, no, but I mean, uh, I, when he was the uh, president of the North Carolina uh, um, the Council of Churches, not Council of Churches, but the oh. uh, NAACP. Oh, the NAACP. Uh, and he, he would do annual marches that were crazy mm -hmm. turnout. His, his intellect, his ability to speak in a way that connects with people. He, he, can, he, he, he is able to go full on gospel and yeah. make folks who are atheists be good with it. Like, yeah. like, I don't have to believe to hear the truth in the way you're telling that and yeah. feel like there's something we need to do about it. Yeah, so well, again, he's and he speaks that same truth to religious people who might otherwise be like, "Well, I don't know what we should do." So I, I yeah. am the disciples minister. Mark was referring. Oh to yeah, that. that's right. It was you. Oh, it was yeah. you. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. So, so at the general assembly in yeah. 2013, we had two. Uh, we had two resolutions that could have been controversial. One was about LGBT inclusion. Okay. And Martin Luther King, or uh, Martin Luther King incarnate, almost. Right. Uh, yeah. William Barber. Easy switch. It's an easy switch. It's, uh, I, I mean, he had those moments, right? The same kind oh, of he does. It's, so William Barber. You hear out. echoes of Dr. King in almost yeah. every talk he Yeah, gives. I mean, it's emotional to hear him yeah. speak for that reason, I think. So oh, William yeah. Barber gets up and he, he speaks in favor of these things. And, and we pass this resolution on uh, Black Lives Matter. And it, it's it's like, William Barber gets up to speak and everyone's like, well, William Barber, the prophet of God has spoken. Right. <laughs> we, you know, we know where we should. And the same thing yeah. happened. Uh, I think it was 2015. We elected our first uh, black woman as general minister and president. And he got up and spoke in favor. And it's like, oh, William Barber has spoken. Yeah. <laughs> we know how we should vote yeah. on this. Well, uh, and, and here's yeah. the great thing about him. Um, yeah. And it leads to my question for you. Yeah. Tell me. He is a great orator. He is a mm -hmm. brilliant mind, uh, and 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 he speaks to uh, social justice issues, 
which ultimately is what the the the, the summer of soul is about social justice issues Pretty and good. and positive ways of coping with the inequalities but also in in uh, getting people ready to go do something about it mm -hmm. and that's one of the things i right. love about dr barbara he doesn't just talk about it he's out there actually doing the work he's got organizations put together he's figuring right. out strategies people how to get out yeah. So my question is, and I knew uh, just because of the nature of a, a podcast and the nature of documentary that we wouldn't quite yeah. get to this. What do we do? How do uh -huh. we respond? Because we've talked about it. We've said that all of that's yeah. wrong and it's just horribly frustrating that we've made so little progress. Yeah. It's fine to say all that stuff and recognize it. As a matter of fact, it's necessary. We've got to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. But what do we do? If it stops there, it is worth nothing. Not a thing. Right. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, I think your your answer is great that uh, getting involved with the Poor People's Campaign is a great place to start, which is mm -hmm. the, the organization that uh, William Barber is co-chair of. I think Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris is the other co-chair. And she, yep. if I'm not mistaken, is a Presbyterian minister. I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think that getting involved with an organization like that, where you can see what the organization has laid out as goals. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I admire about the Poor People's Campaign is that it recognizes the intricacies of economic disparity and mm -hmm. poverty. That mm -hmm. it recognizes that race is involved that recognizes that that climate change is involved right. and that those are all points that the poor people's campaign is working towards addressing but it's not just rhetoric it's right. actual concrete action yeah uh it, it, there are there are pieces of legislation that they are advocating for there are movements that that you can participate in yeah. uh, there are actions you can participate in at the mm -hmm. at state houses so right so yeah. it's national and it's localized which is something that i think is pretty incredible about Absolutely. this grassroots organization is that yeah. you know you're not just coming forward to work for national policies, you are doing that, but you're also yep. working for policies that directly uh, impact us at a local level. Right, and, so, and that's the real power of the movement. Yeah. It's where real change will ever actually happen. So yeah. really, really incredibly important. So yeah, plugging into organizations that are already figuring out how to do this, but sure. also yeah. I'm gonna go back. Uh, if you haven't heard uh, our previous podcast on Don't Look Up, I'm gonna go back to one of the things we concluded with there. There are lots of things you can do, small things, write letters, sure. join or voting, man. Vote, Vote for the people yeah. who will enforce these changes that will mm -hmm. work towards true equality. Mm -hmm. um, it is very hard as an individual to make big changes yeah. unless a whole bunch of individuals get together and vote for the right person. Right. And that's the reason that... Robert Kennedy and John F. Kennedy are included in that litany of names Absolutely. because they were working for legislation that helped people, right? They're not just talking and beyond, you know, white folks just marching. Mm -hmm. It was about real concrete change uh, that needed to happen at a legislative level. So vote! Get out go there vote, and vote. Go vote. <laughs> and if you haven't seen uh, Summer of Soul, please go watch it. You will That's not right. be disappointed. It is well worth You You will be joyful. You'll be sad. But ultimately, you'll be inspired. It's more than worth a watch. Hey, Caleb, it's always great hanging out. Cheers to you, sir.
Cheers, Mark. <laughs> <Mine's gone. laughs> you, you made it. Well, I Both reloaded. Both of mine are gone. I reloaded. So, yeah, it's yeah. fair. But uh, thank you all for joining us and tuning in. Uh, and until next time, we'll see you again on the, the Moonshine, Moonshine Jesus, Jesus Show. Jesus show. <laughs> Moonshine Jesus, the Moonshine Jesus.